Hi, I'm Kim Power-Stilson, filling in for Matt Townsend. You are listening to The Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about boredom. Why do we get bored and what do we do about it? We're going to talk about why our kids get bored and why they complain so much. All right, all this on The Matt Townsend Show after the news. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Following a brief appearance in court today, accused Cleveland kidnapper and sexual predator Ariel Castro is now back in jail on an $8 million bond. He is also in isolation and has been placed on suicide watch. The body of one of the suspected Boston Marathon bombers has now been buried after several Massachusetts graveyards refused to entomb the remains. Authorities have not released the location of the burial site. After a long push on gun control legislation, President Obama is in Texas to focus once again on stimulating new economic growth. The president says he wants to help create more jobs for the middle class. Top White House officials and lawmakers are meeting today to discuss new ways to combat sexual crimes in the military. Earlier this week, an official Pentagon report revealed sex crimes spiked 37 percent last year. U.S. authorities have charged eight suspects for involvement in a sophisticated $45 million cyber theft. Using thousands of automated telemachines and stolen debit card information, the thieves stole the hefty sum in just a matter of hours. In world news, leaders in the U.K. now agree the Syrian regime likely used chemical weapons in the continuing civil war. At the same time, Turkish leaders are also stepping up testing of Syrian refugees to help confirm worldwide suspicions. A fire at a garment factory in Bangladesh killed nine today as rescue workers confirmed the death toll at the eight-story factory that collapsed two weeks ago has now breached 900. And two cruise line passengers are missing after falling off the side of a ship in waters off Australia last night. The ship was 65 miles out to sea when the couple went overboard. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. And welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Kim Power-Stilson. I'm filling in for Matt Townsend, who is away for his daughter's wedding today. And we've got the crew here. We're talking about boredom. Now, don't reach for the channel switcher and change because you're bored by listening to this. I think you'll find some of these great insights into boredom. Now, when I was a kid, my, my grandmother would come in and she'd say, okay, what are your kids doing? And we'd say, we're bored. We're so bored. And when I was a kid, we didn't really watch daytime TV. It was soap operas. And so whenever we answered that we were bored, my grandmother would send us out to do what? I'm guessing, you know, I'm going to guess chores. Chores. Weed. She'd send us out to weed. <laughs> now, one summer, we said we were bored. We didn't learn really rapidly as children. There were six of us. And we had the entire back 40 completely weeded by the, the end of the summer. Wow, that's rather impressive, actually. <laughs> so what did we say? So when my kids, I, my kids are smarter, when I, they say, I'm bored in the summer, I send them out to weed, and what happens? I bet that they don't complain about being bored anymore. Never. You never hear that bored word in <laughs> or my Or better house. yet, suddenly they have something that they need to go do or that they would like to take care of instead of going out and weeding. They're like, actually, I think I need to organize my dresser again. <laughs> well, my 19-year-old daughter came home from college, and um, she said, Mom, I don't have any finals. I'm bored. And the look of alarm immediately went into her eyes. She looked around like, what to do? And I said, oh, well, go do this. <laughs> and she, you know, she forgot rapidly. So I asked her today, what are you doing? She said, 
And then she thought of me. She said, Mom, I'm thrilled. <laughs> I'm absolutely thrilled. So what's the difference between being bored and not being bored? I mean, is do is everyone does everyone get bored? Do some people not get bored? Is there a difference between boredom and then the opposite, which is what? What's the opposite of boredom? You know, I think the opposite of boredom would be excitement, but I'm sure everyone to a certain extent experiences it. There's actually an article that was in the Scientific American that actually kind of suggested that um, chronically bored people exhibit higher risk-taking behavior, which is kind of like a tangent, but something that's interesting at the end that they say is that people are more likely to be bored today because of our culture's obsession with external sources of entertainment. You know, turn on the TV, movies, internet, video games. I cannot tell you how many times I've been around, like, my friends that have kids, you know, they'll have, like, really young kids, like two or three, and then they'll start complaining or something. They'll bring out an iPad and hand it to the kid. And so that kid is trained from that age to, to be entertained hmm. by something electronic instead of, oh, go outside and play hide-and-go-seek. There's a solution like to that, that though. <laughs> instead of handing him a kid's game already loaded on the iPad, open it to the settings menu and then hand it to the kid. <laughs> <laughs> They'll learn. <laughs> yeah, teach him to be a, um, a developer from the ground up. Well, I mean, so that's interesting because so being bored isn't necessarily bad because being bored might drive you like Albert Einstein, right? I'm sure he got bored doing the 8,000 plus light bulbs, but <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, like there was a Thomas passion Edison, behind it. Yeah, okay. there you go. Um, actually, Merritt has some things about like why boredom is actually can be good for you. Yeah, in fact, there are lots of health benefits to being bored. And number one, just to go along with what we're talking about, it helps you avoid your technology addiction, which is a very real thing. Um, A technology addiction? A technology addiction when you feel super anxious when you're not connected to your phone or to your computer. You can't have that kind of immediate release. Um, They also say, for example, one of the symptoms of a technology addiction addiction is feeling... um, imaginary phone vibrations, thinking you're getting texts all the time. I have it all the time. (laughs) All the time. You know, the sad thing is actually like in two months, I'm going to be without tech for a very, very long time. And I'm actually kind of afraid. Like you're doing a service mission, right? uh A service, a period of service. Yeah. And so I'll, yeah, I'll be proselyting in place in Illinois. And so it's just kind of, sometimes I'm like, oh, I can do without it. But then sometimes I'm like, I'm on my computer a lot. I mean, I'm doing things. But it's definitely a part of my life, and so it'll be interesting to see how I adapt to that lack of tech. I just want to throw something in here. I actually, a couple years ago, I declared a cell phone holiday, and I challenged um, listeners on my radio show to give up the cell phone for one entire day. That one, was accidentally yesterday. I, I left my <laughs> cell phone at home. It was lovely. I went to a friend's recital after work, and it's 10 o'clock at night. I didn't have my phone, and... I went walking around the campus. They have a big construction project they're working on where they're digging a tunnel and tearing down a bridge. And, and you noticed it because you weren't texting as you're walking. Exactly. I, I walked around for a half hour looking at that. And well, It's also, amazing how quickly you can realize you don't need the phone. But also, Rob, you probably noticed it because it had something to do with roads they're, and they're, cars They're digging a utility tunnel. <laughs> Rob, it's cool. Rob has this thing. So on the He's show, by those. yeah, on the show, you know, if Bryce ever talks about something, it's to do with food or bacon. With me, it's something with clothes and with Rob, it's always roads or infrastructure. It's a good thing. Now, but. speaking of roads, I I know that um, Rob has this theory about boredom that goes all the way back to OJ. Yeah. Well, it came from uh, somebody's pitching to me the idea. 
that in 1964, during the Beatles' appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show, there was this urban legend that no crimes were committed in New York City. Well, it turns out that's false. But, but hold but, on. But because why? Well, they'd be all at home watching the uh, Ed, Ed Sullivan. Sullivan Show. So they were so engrossed in Ed Sullivan and the Beatles that they didn't bother to steal a loaf of bread or Yeah, because you're, you're not going to go mug someone on the subway if you're watching Something interesting. Ed Sullivan. So you're not bored, so you don't steal. Yeah, you, you'll oh. wait till the next hour after the show's over to go commit your crime. Well, we have no way to prove it. It sounds like it's discredited. But I got thinking closer to present day. 1994, O.J. Simpson is in the passenger seat riding in a Bronco going up the 405 freeway at 30 miles an hour. And for hours, one in three Americans watched that chase live. Was there a noticeable drop of crime that day, June 17, 1994, during that afternoon? I watched it live. Were you committing crimes at the time? Nope. <laughs> Completely left my mind. I rest my kids. <laughs> well, I think that's um, – so if we have more interesting programming on TV, then we would have less crime. Are we going to push that? Well, third? no, because there's boring stuff on TV all the time. Because there's hundreds of channels. We had like five channels when I was growing up and we were bored then and we're just as bored now that there's thousands of channels to choose from. But isn't there something inherently compelling about a football star, former actor <laughs> – Going 30 miles an hour up a freeway so slowly that fans of O.J. are on the overpasses with signs saying, Go, O.J., as he passes underneath. I mean, that, there's just something right about that that pulled in one in three Americans, and we just had our attention glued on that. So beat American Idol even. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. You know. Well, I, on the other hand, you get, mm, let's say, eight guys together. And let's say there's nothing going on. I'm, let's take camping, for example. Let's say we've run out of sticks to burn. We've run out of things. <laughs> it's like just at the wrong time. Like it's not late enough that we can go do something. But The chips are gone. Yeah, no cookies yeah. left. Okay. okay. We're bored. How often does that just descend into, let's see Crime. if we can find the most dangerous thing we can do <laughs> that's probably going to send one of us to the hospital. And we just we all just kind of agree to it. Like, oh, this is extremely dangerous. Yeah, let's all do it. Eight people all agree this terrible idea is something we should do. And it's because they get bored. They run out of things to do. So definitely on camping trips, make sure you always have something to do. But but it's real. If you if you don't have something to do, you start reaching for something a little more thrilling. It doesn't have to be a trip to the hospital, but it kind of always goes that way when it's, with dudes at least. At the same time, that can that idea that you're looking for something more engaging can lead to something really positive. That's why people who are comfortable with boredom, actually, they probably weren't bored at this point, but they're more creative. They have more. They can generate new hobbies and new interests, and they can. They are less stressed because they're less connected to things. They can just calm down because because they use boredom as something that's good instead of just a chance to. But who's going to define if a campfire in. dare is good or not? I think if if you end up going to the hospital, it's probably not good. But, <laughs> hey, it's entertaining while it lasts, I'm sure. Well, my my husband was so bored as a, a young kid. His mom was really sick in the hospital. And so he started archery. He started, you know, using a bow and arrow. I guess the neighbors complained. Some of them ended up in the dog's doghouse and in the through the patio um, cover. But he ended up almost going to Olympics as an archer. So – I think that proves your point. There you go. 
I mean, he that boredom was incentivized him to be great at. I something. mean, dangerous. And it is dangerous. Right. <laughs> That's true. Right. But Touché. still. But still, it got him doing something. I know because I guess when you think about it, like if I had something that I kind of wanted to do, I'd be more likely to do it if I was bored. I'd be like, so what do I do? And I'm like, well, I guess I always did want to take up um, painting. I don't know. I'm <laughs> just trying to think of something, you know. And so, like, I think that's actually pretty interesting that it can be an incentive and can help cultivate productivity even though you are bored. I wonder if OJ was bored when he got in the car. No, I think he's pretty nervous. <laughs> so not the same. He was he was actually on his way downtown to um, turn himself in, and then something scared him on the way. Probably the thought of turning himself in, and that's what turned into the big chase. But we definitely weren't bored. I mean, we watched that for hours, and we weren't bored watching it. I mean, you think watching the you know different freeways go by, you think we have been bored, but we were fascinated, and obviously, so was the world. Crime Just prevention. Watching a guy in a big white car going thirty miles an hour. Maybe, maybe it was the premise that I think it was all about who it was. Yeah, I mean, it was a name that everybody knew, and we didn't know what he was going to do. We, people were worried he was maybe, you know, maybe he's going to commit suicide. You know, so we were all watching to make sure that he didn't do that. Yeah, know? that's right. That's why we were watching. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, it's I mean, kind of scary. Kinda scary yeah. but but you know. For, it's a strange way we care about a celebrity and we don't want them to, you know, it's bizarre. It's almost like the same thing that's built in where you have a neighbor you care about. Somebody you've seen on TV is like a neighbor and you want to make sure they're okay. I so if we had a camera and we're on Bryce's camping trip, we ought to follow him around just to make sure that he doesn't, you know. Well, at least for insurance purposes. <laughs> you know, the, in my family, that's uh, we have, you know, the cats get teased. Uh, I walked out today and the little dog had a bow on his head because my daughter was bored so <laughs> poor dog <laughs> oh my goodness actually that's like the traditional thing that girls will do they're like oh you know little girls are bored you know they'll do something to the dog i've actually one time i was babysitting some girls they're bored they ended up painting the dog's toenails and they like <laughs> shaved a heart into this not shaved but you know pretty close cutting with some scissors oh it was it's like the side of the dog it was well, funny. T- well to that good. end how many dads of young girls have been left home mom has left them home to take care of everyone and have they ended up with you know a few bows in their hair or a few painted nails a little mascara you know everyone can be a victim of this boredom (laughs) (laughs) but it's a person's passion right the person who likes the makeup it's their passion it's the people that are around them that got caught in the boredom trap (laughs) there you go beware of those that are bored well, we've been talking about boredom here on the Matt Townsend Show. Now, don't don't get bored and turn away. We've got Brad Wilcox coming up, and we've got a whole bunch of interesting information about how boredom helped people inspire greatness in others. We'll be right back with more of the Matt Townsend Show after this. We talk about NASA spinoffs a lot here, but today we're really spinning some hardware that could cure deadly diseases. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. Human insulin for diabetics and the vaccine against hepatitis B are grown in artificial incubators called bioreactors, and they save lives the world over. But more cures and medicines might be made in bioreactors, except that they don't perfectly mimic certain aspects of the world. Some bioreactor-bound drug candidates have a tough time forming properly in an immobile, fixed platform of typical reactors. They need conditions like microgravity to attain their true three-dimensional structure. Low gravity is available in space, of course, but that can be expensive. 
So, some engineers taking inspiration from an electric drill built prototype spinning bioreactors and enlisted NASA's support to test the device's value for tissue engineering. The slow tumble of the liquid inside feels like zero-G to the developing crystals or proteins. In 1990, the researchers licensed patents for the rotating wall bioreactor technology and founded a company called Synthicon to commercialize the device. The prototype led to rotary cell culture systems that have since become key tools for medical research. Drug companies use these systems to test new medicines, ones that might cure, say, dizziness? Maybe. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Welcome to 1962 in a town called Granite Flats where everyone is friendly and everything is normal. Almost. There are things that need to stay secret. You ever seen anything like this? Oh, sir, it's pretty space age. She thought it was aliens. Yes, she did. Holy cow. G-Man. Don't go getting paranoid on me, Johnny Sanders. Watch an all-new episode of Granite Flats this Sunday at 6 Eastern, 4 Mountain on BYU-TV. And welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson filling in for Matt. He's off at a family wedding, so... Very big congratulations to him. And the team's all here. We've got Rob and Aaron and Merritt and Madison and Bryce. Now, speaking of Bryce, we were just talking with him, hearing about his fun camping escapades. And, uh, you know, he seems to think he's got some advice for us on the benefits of boredom. So I'm really interested to hear that. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is the Bryce's Right. Boredom has been one of the most effective instructors in my world. And you can trust me when I say that, because I was part of the public school system. I was subjected to many courses that were mandated by the state and supervised, notice I didn't use the verb taught, by underqualified and unmotivated state workers who spent a few decades dragging the title of teacher or educator through the mud. Now, I will say that this was not always the case. Few times I had teachers that lived up to their name, sometimes I actually cared for the subject matter, and there was even a few times that I had a good teacher and I was into the subject. Those were magical hours. But in the face of standardized testing, quotas, and general education, or time fillers, as I like to call them, I spent a lot of my time with nothing interesting to do. And you know what? It was pretty cool. Chronic boredom is bad, and it's hard to realistically blame it on anyone but yourself. If you spend months with nothing interesting to do, your mind is going to start to deteriorate. But I love little periods of boredom because it forces you to do some self-aware thinking. Why am I bored? Is this apathy or unstimulation? If it's apathy, why does this not matter to me? If someone took the time to write a textbook about it, it must have mattered to someone for some reason. Or if it's not really doing it for me, how can we make this more interesting? Can I find a better way to do this? Can I complicate it in a way that will hold my attention better? Or should I pull a MacGyver and just see what fun I can have with the objects around me? This is the kind of stuff that would rattle around in my head while someone would prattle on about some hyper-sterilized version of history that refused to acknowledge Genghis Khan as the monster that he was. Was. In fact, these rants that I do, I don't make most of them up on the spot. These are all the results of long trains of thought that started in middle school when my brain was starved for activity. I started asking questions, gathering data, and testing out scenarios. Over time, I adjusted my findings and conclusions based on experiences and observations, and now I have a format where I can spew this out without anyone stopping me. 
But do you kind of see what those questions lead to? If I'm apathetic and someone else is not, then why? Well, eventually this leads to empathy. Making things interesting, that's gamification. Doing things differently, that's the start of creativity and innovation. In psychology, the basis of empathy is what's known as the theory of mind. It takes a lot of brain power to understand that you are an individual experiencing this little corner of the universe, and then it takes even more brain power to understand that there are other unique individuals out there totally and separate from you experiencing the same universe. And there's only a few species on this planet that can do this. Lots of primates can do it, elephants can, some well-bred dogs can too. But most of the organisms plotting about on this rock are pretty certain they are the center of the cosmos. But getting bored sitting in some ceramic composite and metal seat desk thing got me thinking about all of this. But I think a third step in theory of mind development happens after you've figured out that you're a person and that other people are persons. It's then giving the benefit of the doubt. Not only are other people real, but they had a today as well. For me, this really comes to play whenever I call customer support. This job is never a career dream. It's an entry-level job, and people only take it because it's on the path to something that'll be better. When faced with an issue, nobody says, well, this product is presenting some concerning problems. I will call customer support before I try anything to fix it. No, we're stubborn. We try everything short of punching, and then when we're at our wit's end, we call customer support. And then when they're a little condescending or they aren't immediately helpful, we go into all-out frontal assault mode. And when this happens, nobody wins. My goal when I call customer support, see if I can hear a smile in their voice by the time we do the goodbyes. Because they're people, and being a jerk is not helpful. Or what about the gamification I mentioned? This word was recently coined by Nick Pelling, and it refers to the way that we make games more interesting. So let's take baseball, for example. We have familiar gaming elements at play such as the rules, fitness levels, awareness, competition. That's all well and good, but when that's not enough, we resort to gamification. My favorite mid-class daydream of gamifying baseball would be to implement a rule where you couldn't throw with your dominant hand. For myself, all the way up to professionals, we've spent years throwing with one arm. And even though our other arm is practically the same and we have the process of throwing memorized to the point that we don't even think about it, when you throw with your other hand, you do it poorly, you look silly, and you feel silly. That is gamification. You tweak the game a little to make it more interesting. Or how about we go less practical? How about your party tricks? You know those pointless little skills that we spend hours working on without consciously spending hours working on? I think all of this stems from boredom. There's no reason to stick pencils into ceiling tiles, but there was a time in my life where I could lay down on the floor with 10 pencils in my hand and get nine of them firmly stuck in a ceiling tile. And nobody actively taught me any of these things. In fact, most of the time someone was actively trying to teach me something else, but boredom pushed me to start teaching myself. So in this way, boredom was one of the best teachers I ever had. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. Okay, well, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Bryce, wow. I got some strong feelings about boredom. I love it, kind of, kind of. You know, I, I think it's really funny because th- there is that age where where you're so bored, like a school age, like you said, sitting in the ceramic thingy, right? Listen. Where you, you throw the pencils. I mean, that's kind of a universal thing, throw the pencils in the ceiling tiles. Absolutely, yeah. Yet you came up with it all by yourself Well, and thousands of others right? too. <laughs> the convergent evolution, I think they call that. Just like <laughs> suddenly we all get to the same place when presented with the same problems. Have you ever done peanut butter and jelly sandwiches under your table? No, I never did that. What is yeah. that? That was the big thing in, in my high school is that you'd have the football players would ask their moms for an extra sandwich, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And so they had the early lunch because they were athletes. So they would stick the extra sandwich underneath the table and then it would just get gooey and stick. And by the time the, you know, the younger, younger of us got in there and sat down, they would have peanut butter and jelly off plop down on oh, us. Oh, gosh. That's awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's like devious and 
just amazing that they would do it, and I'm sure I would have Boredom. enjoyed it. And wasteful. It's I could have eaten that sandwich. So wasteful. Like all the mums got together on the football team and started not sending the sandwiches. <laughs> Boycott. But for a while, it was a big, you know, we would be covered with peanut butter, and um, everyone thought it was hilarious, but that was boredom. Right. Creative, creative, though. It's it's like a step beyond the pencils and the, the ceiling tiles. Well, not to pick on ceiling tiles, but we were, one time in sixth grade, we were sitting in lunch, and we got the Ziploc bags for... Uh, for our lunch and when we would finish everything we would have a bunch of oh, okay well we can't leave yet because we may be done eating but we're not allowed to get out of here so they just kind of okay well it's 10 more minutes until we get to leave so you have to sit there and find something to do of course we got into trouble and we figured out that with ziploc bags if you don't fill them up all the way you can put something on one side of the ziploc bag and you can smack the other side of the ziploc bag and it will send anything like 10,000 miles an hour right up into the ceiling. Liquid, and, right? Or any, Cheetos? Cheetos. Sandwiches. Uh, brownies were the best because they were sticky on top. And so we would try and get whole brownies to stick to the ceiling that was 25 feet up. And <laughs> oh, we got it a few times. Food manity. <laughs> I could have eaten that brownie. <laughs> You're not an engineer, or what do you do? No, but we figured, out, we figured out the physics of it. It was all that liquid physics of it and just... It was wonderful little moments of ingenuity and genius that were totally used for evil, but <laughs> but it was it was just great how we were given nothing to do and we said, oh yeah, we'll find something to do. Don't worry. You mentioned MacGyver. Yes, it's kind of MacGyver esque for you to do that. You, if you give, you could do it for good though, but you didn't. But you could have. I could have. If you just three random objects, I'll find some way to. Apparently, I'll find some way to get it to stick to the ceiling. If one I, can find, I can find some way to put it in the ceiling. Okay, I'd, I'd like to see that, but since this is the ceiling tiles are perfect, we won't do that. Right, you can't mess with the soundproofing. So, okay, what about the whole idea? Um, and we have a, just a minute left, but you just said that the apathy, right? The apathy leads to empathy. What did you mean by that? I thought that was interesting. Um, someone had to care about this stuff. Someone had to. Let's take a, a math textbook. It's about four hundred pages. Okay, that's a lot of math. If someone was just, hey, here's this assignment. I need you to put together a textbook for me real fast. Could you do that? It'd be like 15 pages. It'd be a pamphlet. Okay, <laughs> It wouldn't be a big deal. And, and that's why you don't put someone who doesn't care about something in charge of something like that. And so they found someone who knew their math, someone who cared to learn their math, someone who had strong feelings one way or another about that math. And so they put them in charge of writing this big textbook. So someone cared about it. And so if I don't care, why don't I care? If someone else cared about it, why did they care about it? Why did it matter to them? Because it had to. I could not imagine someone saying, okay, I need 400 pages of this, and I know you don't care about it and you don't like it, but 400 pages. I wouldn't do 400 pages. That'd be awful. That'd be torture. But someone liked it. Someone cared about it. And so that gets you thinking about people. Like, who likes math? We know Rob kind of likes math. We know like that's something to him. That matters to him. Why does it matter to him? Because math is the gateway to money. There you go. Ever since I quit taking math, my dreams of money just vanished. So now I'm like, well, okay, I'll just go back and do some math. So if Rob Rob could write the textbook. He could. He and could. then you, you're saying that that makes you more empathetic because you get that it's his passion and then there's your passion, which is pencil throwing into What's the ceiling. Putting something in the ceiling. That's what I'm And, all and would about. that bore you, Rob? I don't think I'd want to write a math textbook. That would be no. Would you? Would it? Could you write a four hundred page um, book on writing, throwing, t- you know, pencils into the ceiling tiles? It'd be it, it, maybe you'd get a little bit stream of conscious 
writing in the middle, but yeah, I could. Pamphlet? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> you could, so there you go. Right, right. Some of us have it all. Poor Bryce. I, I try. I try. All right. Well, boredom. Actually, that was the least boring rant on boredom I've ever heard. You're listening to Matt Townsend Show. That was Bryce and the benefits of boredom. We're going to be right back after this. Get your business in the game and sponsor Cougar Sports on BYU Radio and BYU TV. For more information, call 801-422-1448 or email corporate support at byu.edu. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Officials suspect Ariel Castro forced multiple miscarriages on one of the three women he is accused of holding captive for 10 years in Cleveland. Prosecutors are going to seek aggravated murder charges in addition to kidnapping and rape. GOP leaders in the House issued an official request to the White House today to release emails which could reveal how top officials responded during the attack on the U.S. Embassy in Benghazi, Libya last year. Speaker John Boehner says the truth should not be hidden from the American people. Aside from the embassy attack, top White House officials and lawmakers are also meeting today to discuss new ways to combat sexual crimes in the military. Earlier this week, an official Pentagon report revealed sex crimes spiked 37 percent last year. U.S. authorities have charged eight suspects for involvement in a sophisticated $45 million cyber theft. Using thousands of automated teller machines and stolen debit card information, the thieves stole the hefty sum in just a matter of hours. The body of one of the suspected Boston Marathon bombers has now been buried after several Massachusetts graveyards refused to entomb the remains. Authorities have not released the location of the burial site. In world news, leaders in the U.K. now agree the Syrian regime likely used chemical weapons in the continuing civil war. At the same time, Turkish leaders are also stepping up testing of Syrian refugees to help confirm the worldwide suspicion. As the death toll from the Bangladesh garment factory collapsed two weeks ago, breached 900 today, tragedy struck another similar factory when a fire took nine more lives in the nation. Authorities in Australia are now desperately searching for a couple that fell off a cruise ship yesterday at least 65 miles offshore. No one realized the two were missing until the ship docked in Sydney today. That's the news to half past the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson, filling in for Matt, who's away celebrating a family wedding. So congratulations to him, and thanks to the team for having me come on to fill in for him. Today we're talking about boredom. Please don't get bored in turn, because we have someone who's very exciting here. This is Brad Wilcox. He is the professor in the Department of Teacher Education at Brigham Young. You've heard him speak all over probably the nation. He grew up... um, in Ethiopia, Africa. So maybe he'll talk about that a little. He's He teaches. He does study abroad programs for the university. He's consulted all over the U.S. and in Australia, New Zealand, Chile, Mexico, Department of Defense schools in Germany. So very, very interesting. He's a co-author of the textbook Developing Literacy, published by Pearson, which is the largest education publisher in the world. Now he also has a wife and four kids and three grandkids. And you're never bored, I hear. <laughs> you're with with that with all that going on no i'm never bored well why is that about you you grew up in ethiopia i mean did that have any effect on the the ratio of boredom to non-boredom in your life 
I think that uh, growing up growing up in Africa definitely gave me a perspective because I think in the United States, in North America, in many countries, in Europe, in Asia, we begin to feel like if we have our technology to keep us entertained, then then we'll we'll be happy. And we when we don't have someone entertaining us or something entertaining us, then we get bored and unhappy. But I've seen little kids who don't even have clothes, but they're happy. I've seen little kids that just have tin cans that our family gave them, just empty cans, and yet they can turn that into entertainment. And so while we look at children in Africa and say, well, they're disadvantaged, well, in many ways they are, but according to our measuring stick. Um, if we measure by a different measuring stick, I think that there are children in North America who are very disadvantaged because there aren't many kids I know that could be happy with a tin can. And there aren't many kids I know who are going to be happy if they don't have the latest fad, the latest fashion, the latest label to wear. Um, I, think, uh, I think if you measure by that stick... Um, we've got a lot to learn rather than a lot to teach. So for you, having seen this, you you do have this great perspective. And I would say you don't know what you don't know. So there's people out there, kids out there, that don't know what it's like not to have a cell phone or they don't know what it's like not to have their next meal. Is boredom something that is just kind of inherent in people? Are there some people that are less passionate, therefore more bored? What's your perspective on that? Well, I like the, I like the uh, rant that we just heard. Uh, it, and what was his name? Bryce. Bryce. I liked what Bryce said about how somebody was interested in that. And I think people who have a, a, a lot of interest, a lot of curiosity, are very rarely bored. But you think, uh, so most children have a great deal of natural curiosity. They're not content to see the water come out of the tap. They have to see where it goes. And they're not content to say, well, it goes in the pipe. They want to know where the pipe goes. And they're not content to say it goes in the ground. They want to pull on it and see. I mean, most kids have a great deal of natural curiosity. So I don't think a lot of children are born bored. I think that boredom is something that comes as they start losing that natural curiosity. And I think that, uh, you know, Bryce was complaining about schools and how he'd get so bored. Well, part of that, as Bryce admitted, was Bryce's problem. Um, But part of that also is that I think sometimes adults can do a better job of fostering that natural curiosity, whether it's teachers or parents, we can foster that natural curiosity in many subjects um, and, and help kids feel excited about a lot of things because they naturally, I think that's a natural thing for a lot of children. So I guess what you're saying, it sounds like, is that you know, it's just what finding what makes them interested or what they're curious about. It could be different in every child. Yeah, finding passions and being able to to uh, 
explore and expand those passions and giving kids a chance to do a wide variety of things so that they really can start finding things that they like, things they're interested in. And, uh, and sometimes I think we give a pretty, uh, you know, was it, wasn't it interesting that Bryce said that the, the thing that he didn't like were the general ed classes or the classes that, that, he, that he didn't that, that he didn't feel an interest in. Well, it doesn't mean we shouldn't ever expose kids to things they don't like or we're going to have an entire country looking at, you know, just doing one thing or listening to one kind of music. We want to broaden kids' horizons and expose them to a lot of different things. But sometimes the exposure isn't just in the form of a lecture. So maybe interaction with, with the process or the, the subject of oh, study. Oh, definitely. I mean, think about, times when, think, think about times when you've been bored. And usually it's because you've been unengaged. See, if, if Bryce was listening to a teacher go on and on about a subject that may have meant something to the teacher, but it didn't mean anything to him, it's because he wasn't involved. If he's sitting there throwing things at the ceiling, <laughs> then obviously he wasn't engaged enough. I think we want to make our learning in the home, our learning in schools, our learning in any setting, we want to make it more engaging so that children are involved. And when they're involved, then it's a little harder for them to say, oh, I'm bored with this, whatever the the subject is, whatever the activity is. So with your own family, with your own kids, how did you how did you do that? I mean, it's it's if I'm interested in getting the kids to do their chores or if I'm interested in kids doing, doing their math homework and they're not engaged... What did, you, what did you do? What have you done? I think if you remember three key words, to, with, and by. To, with, and by. If a kid's not interested in reading, I can read to him. That's going to help. And then I can read with him. If he's still not willing to do it by himself, I can do it with him. And then finally, I can give him an opportunity to do it by himself and have success. If a kid's not interested in going out, was it you, Kim, who said you, you, your grandma used to say, go weed? Yes. <laughs> well, see, if a kid isn't interested in weeding, then I need to show him a model. I need to show him that I weed. Then we can weed together. And then I can give him time to do it by himself. So whether it's it's the uh, same thing with athletics. Athletics might be very uh, exciting for some kids, but for other kids not. But if they see a model, I mean, most kids, especially lately, you start seeing sports that are uh, just taking off, lacrosse. All of a sudden, you see lacrosse teams all over the country. Ten years ago, Nobody in the United States was playing this, but all of a sudden you see it. Well, why? Well, but they see a model. They see how that's played. And then they have the chance to play with somebody. And pretty soon they want to do it by themselves. And so if we can remember that, that model, it's not so much saying, oh, you're bored, go weed. Uh, all right? Maybe a kid doesn't want to go do that. Or if you're bored, go read. But teachers and parents can both say, what can I do to, to model my passion, 
my enthusiasm or the importance of this, why this is so important. And then let's go do it together. See, go clean your room doesn't get very far. (laughs) That's right. It doesn't. (laughs) Or go exercise. That doesn't get very far. But if you say, let's go exercise, let's go clean your room. That's going to go a little bit further. And the more the kid does it, then he starts seeing the benefits, starts having success experiences, and starts having questions, seeing how this could help solve problems in his life. And then pretty soon he's doing it by himself. You know, I I think this is an amazing model. So each of us as mentors in our family or with our students or wherever in life, if we just follow this model – then we would cut down boredom by a considerable percent. Yeah, I think Bryce obviously was not bored as he prepared his, yeah. his thing for this show. So who was his model? Where, where, when did he start listening to radio or talk radio? I mean, what was it that turned him on to that? And then obviously he didn't just show up one day. Some Oh, you're bored? Go do a talk radio show. <laughs> No, somebody did that with him, and now he's doing it by himself, and obviously it, he's, he does it with great passion. Obviously, he's very excited about what he has to say and this chance he has to say it, and this is now a meaningful thing to him, and, and, but, but somewhere along the line, somebody took him through that pattern— And I think that that's something that can help us as we try to expose kids to many different genres of literature, many different uh, activities, many different sports, so that they can start finding a passion. So speaking of exposing kids to these different things, you have taken several groups to study abroad, which is where students will go to a different country or culture to learn things in a different setting. Is is that right? Yeah. And think about it. They're taking the same classes they'd be taking on campus, but suddenly they're saying, I'm not bored. See, suddenly it's exciting. Well, why is it exciting? Well, because instead of just sitting in a classroom talking about it or sitting in a classroom watching a video clip, they're living it. And that's what I'm talking about when I say we need to help engage children and students in learning rather than just expecting it to all happen through one sense, and that's listening. So listening. Now, we're going to talk about listening uh, more after the break. So uh, we want to hear your ideas on that. This model, this model of two with by, have you seen it work for a little, we just have about a minute left before the break. Have you seen it work with little children as well as perhaps like 18-year-olds, you know, minor adults? Yeah. Think about your own life. Think about something you do that you have great passion for. And think about who was your model? Why do you like that? If you like cooking, why do you like that? Who did you see doing that? And who took time to do it with you until you could do it by yourself? And then think of something you hate. Oh, I hate that sport. Oh, I hate that activity. Why? Well, because you never saw a good model. Or nobody did it with you enough to help you feel comfortable. And then finally, since you didn't feel comfortable with it, you never did it by yourself. So uh, in theory, could we every single thing that we, if we were to have this model, would we like everything? I think it would definitely expose us to a lot of things. I think there's a lot of natural, in, in our personalities, I think there is a natural inclination towards certain things. But, but education 
is a process of exposing ourselves to a broader world, exposing ourselves to a bigger perspective. And I think that, uh, that that's vital. All right. You're listening to Brad Wilcox, and you are on the, the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks so much for talking with us about this. We'll be talking about more about curiosity and boredom when we get back uh, right after this brief break on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Find out how a new invention turbocharges solar cells. Coming up next. This is Innovation Now. Bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Why isn't everything running off of solar cells yet? Well, up until now, solar cells were inefficient, brittle, and needed to face the sun as much as they can. All of that might have just become history based on a recent development from scientists at Princeton University. The breakthrough involves a word you're going to hear more and more about, plasmonics. In this case, it's about how light interacts with nanotech structures smaller than a light wave. Solar cells are a sandwich of layers. Princeton's team deleted a brittle, expensive layer and added a layer that's a grid of metal and flexible plastic. When light enters, it becomes trapped and can't be reflected away. 96% of it gets absorbed. It works even better if the solar cell is angled to the sun, but you can do away with expensive motors to keep tracking the sun and put the cells up any way you like. At nearly triple the efficiency and lower cost, it can be printed like sheets of wallpaper and can be bent and formed into angles and curves to better fit any surface. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Traveling with Eric Dowdle is obviously about traveling, but it's also about painting, food, trivia, culture, friends, and history. So you could say it's pretty weird. Are people competing to be weird? Because I think we could probably give them a run. Is there? Can we put that on our thing? The, you weirdest, show, or the, the weirdest show on BYU Radio? I think we I would think be we right up there. One. Catch Traveling with Eric Dowdle weekdays at 9 p.m. Eastern. Here on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson, filling in for Matt Townsend, who is out having a family wedding and a birthday this week, so we wish him well. Today we're talking with Brad Wilcox. We're talking about boredom. Now, Brad Wilcox is probably the least bored person you will ever meet. He has done consulting all across the U.S. and internationally. And, you know, when he comes to speak in our part of the world, there is the queue uh, a mile long to get in to hear him. So we're lucky to have him on the air today. Now, just before the break, we were talking about getting kids engaged and giving exposing them to broad experiences. And I had asked Matt, um, Brad, to talk about uh, the study abroads that he's taken students on from, you know, in different parts of the world. And just by chance, two of our producers here, Merritt and Madison, have been on study abroad. So hopefully we can all chime in and talk about that. Yeah, what do you think is the difference between uh, just taking a series of courses on campus and then taking courses in a study abroad setting. I mean, what what did why what drew you to that? For me it was the personal connection. I love 
history. And I really love English history. I find it so interesting. So much of our heritage and our language comes from that. And so when I was on study abroad, you know, I'm learning about this English history. You learn about William the Conqueror or anything, you know, and then you go see the Bayou Tapestry and it's right there in front of you. Or I learn about an author or a musician that I love. And then that afternoon, we actually go to his house and see where he lived, what kind of things he was surrounded by. Now, some people would say, yeah, but you could do that with the computer. It is not the same. It is not the same. There is definitely something about being in the same physical place, that kind of hands-on experience that you just don't get by looking at pictures. It's the same way looking at paintings. I went to so many museums and actually seeing the physical thing right there. You have kind of an emotional connection to it when you see it in front of you. You can have kind of you're in the same vicinity as this piece of work, as this book, as this I don't know, random chair in somebody's house as the actual person was. And that kind of connection makes the history and whatever you're learning about seem way more real than it would if you had just looked at a picture in a book. Yes. Yeah, um, Merit, we're on the the London study abroad, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I think that is so cool. And my experience, I went to Germany. And so I spent about a week in a city called Dresden. It's called the Venice of the North and also a week in Berlin and then the rest of the time in this area called Saxony with, and I actually lived with the host family. And it was the part that got with me is aside from the history, I mean, Germany's so rich in history with all the different, I mean, everything that's gone on there. Um, but also of just how, especially with the language, with language learning is you realize this is how these people communicate and you learn to care and to love these people and you want to communicate with them and you want to. Did you take German in high school? A little bit, yeah. Okay, so how come you didn't feel so passionate about it when you were sitting in a German class? Why were you throwing pencils at the ceiling? (laughs) But when you were suddenly in Germany, it was a different story. I guess it's something to connect to. I mean, earlier, um, some people connect with family history. You know, some people go, oh, I'm from there. Our family, we're all adopted. We have no idea where our, you know, we don't know where our parents are from or anything like that. And so uh, we don't have any personal connections as those. And so actually that was a huge motivating factor for some people that were in the class. But for me, I was like, oh, this will be cool. But as soon as I went there, it was just such a huge connection because suddenly I had seen all these places. I want to go back, fell in love with these people and even now, like, I still Skype my German family. We actually, like, they call me their daughter and I call them, you know, mom and dad and stuff like that. It's just that connection and that's driven me to not only succeed in language, but also just to develop a love of that place. Yeah. It's a, I think in both cases, your study abroad experiences helped that learning become very real to you, very meaningful to you. And, and so when you're making that personal connection and you're exploring and expanding your passions, then it is difficult to be bored. One thing that I also found interesting about being in London, there aren't as many cultural differences as there would be in some place where we speak a different language, but everything that may have been mundane in my life going to school where I am now, all of a sudden became 10 times more interesting because I was in a new place, because they had an accent, because... They had different names for things. And so everything that was mundane and all these things that may have bored me previously in this new setting were really exciting and really interesting to learn about simply because it was 
different than I had experienced my whole life. Kim, my students actually went to New Zealand, and they were there to work in the schools. I was working with students who were preparing to be elementary school teachers, and they went there specifically because New Zealand is, has such a high literacy rate, and they do things in the schools that are very positive to kind of help students progress in their reading and their writing. And so these teachers were able to go and see what the other teachers were doing, but also participate. They were able to be right in those classrooms, not as observers, but as student teachers. And it was very meaningful to them. They also loved the culture. They loved the the country. They loved the traveling we were able to do and the history we learned. But they learned a lot by just being in that classroom and not just watching teachers, but being the teachers. So did you, having that experience for them, did you, did they, did they get the traditional boredom? Did they, did it ever become rote to them? Did you, did you see that ever happen? I didn't see that with the, with the students uh, because it was, it was all new to them. Yes, they were. They were very engaged. If they had been watching videos of what happens in a New Zealand classroom, then it it could have been boring. But when they're there and they're dealing with these children and they're dealing with these issues and they're they're not just watching it, then they're learning by doing. They're learning through their own experience. So you think it's a physical proximity? Like you said before, the model, which is two – Right and with and by, so that's that has to be more physical then. Yeah, I do. I but but not everybody has the chance to go to Germany. Not everybody has the chance to go to London, and not everybody has the chance to go visit New Zealand. So there has to be something that we can do in that classroom or in our homes that's going to keep kids from throwing pencils at the ceiling <laughs> or putting peanut butter under the tables. I mean, there has to be something we can do to make learning more engaging. And I think one small step we can take is to focus a little bit more on the expressive language arts rather than the receptive language arts. Receptive meaning we're reading, we're listening. Well, you've read a page of a book and you know, your mind's somewhere else. Right. So what can you do to, to, to help? You're listening to a lecture. Your mind's somewhere else. How do you keep your mind there? Well, if we turn to those expressive language arts, speaking, list, uh, speaking, writing, then we're able to keep ourselves more engaged in the listening and the reading. So instead of just reading a book... Try writing about it. Try writing in notes, having a little study journal so that you can be writing your questions, your connections. Um, Instead of just listening to a lecture, try writing notes or try discussing or summarizing the lecture with a neighbor uh, or a partner in the class. Um, That's going to be a little bit more engaging because suddenly you're doing something besides just a little more actively. So when you say writing, and, and that's so interesting, it's almost profound because it's simple. Yeah, you can afford, if you can't afford to go to New Zealand, you can afford to write something. Do you suggest getting out um, an actual pencil and paper, or can you, can you type it on your uh, iPad? Gosh, I think you could choose your iPad, you could use your computer, you could choose anything. But the idea is it's coming 
out of you. Many times we'll be bored when the learning is outside in. We're taking what's outside and we're putting it in. That's reading. That's listening. And that's important. But we often are more excited when we are bringing something from the inside out. So if somebody's out there listening to this program, that's great. But if that person is getting so excited and saying, wow, I learned something here. And then you go home and share that with a spouse or you go home and share it with a friend, then that's, that's going to be even better than just sitting listening. Um, to be able to say, you know, hey, those girls went on a study abroad. Well, I remember when I traveled once on a family vacation. See, that's good. But to be able to then write about that, go home and send an email and say, Mom, thanks for taking us on that vacation because I've, I realize now that that really expanded my horizons. See, any type of writing or speaking is going to make the outside-in experience so much more positive, so much more powerful because suddenly now we're bringing the inside out. Well, it's exactly right. It, communication is two-way. So if you just hear something, it's not really communication because it's not two-way. You have to respond. So what you're saying is that we have to become engaged for us to retain it or be even more interested. Yeah. Have you been bored doing this program? Probably not. Yeah. And I think part of the reason that you're not is because look at how engaged you are not just in listening, which you're doing. But I'm writing. But you're writing notes as we talk, and you're speaking. You're responding. So do you see? That keeps, you, it keeps your mind so focused and so engaged that maybe when you woke up this morning and you thought, oh, I'm going to go do a, a show on boredom. I mean, <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Probably not because I was like, this is going to be boring. Yeah. But see, <laughs> maybe that wasn't – maybe your passion is not boredom. But Probably look <laughs> at look at how this show has expanded your your learning. But part of that is because you haven't just been listening. You've also been producing and producing for a real audience. There are people out there who are listening to this. And so and suddenly they're not bored. <laughs> the, but suddenly that that forces you to a higher level. So what could we do in a classroom or what could we do at home to give kids a real audience instead of just read that book could you tell about that book to the to this group of kids in the class or instead of just watching that movie oh could you now tell your favorite parts to your friend or here instead of just oh we went to the zoo let's write a letter to grandma and tell her about our trip to the zoo See, suddenly you're giving kids the same real audience that, that you have as you do this show. And that audience keeps you on your toes. You, you can't just yawn and fall off the chair. And I haven't <laughs> seen you throwing pencils at the ceiling. So if we can give kids the feeling like they're doing the radio show, they're not just listening to it, but they're doing it. They're the ones who are producing either orally or in writing and sharing it with a real audience, even if that audience is just family. 
or the family cat or so these things that you're sharing are so simple and and they're like aha moments to me because Good. I have three kids and I'm listening to you thinking okay When's the last time I went out and weeded with them? Well, thankfully, I have. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I can answer that affirmatively. But just having them, instead of saying, tell me about school or or tell me, you know, they've gone to a movie or to the prom, I could have them actually share that back. And that's listening. And that is so powerful. And we should basically be doing that anyway as parents, but we, we get so busy. We don't. Yeah. I think one of the saddest things that's happened in our culture is that we have lost that family dinner time. And that's when a lot of parents used to say, tell me about school. And listen. And without the iPhone distraction. Tell me what you've learned. Well, then the kid is having to produce for a real audience. And I think we've kind of lost that. And so uh, if I were going to give one suggestion, I would say... Let's just start eating together again. Let's turn off the TV a little more often during our meals and just talk to each other. Give kids a chance to speak and write as well as read and listen. Fabulous advice. We're listening to uh, Brad Wilcox. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back with more after this. Do you like to paint? Do you like to travel? How would you like to paint and travel? We do go to cool (laughs) places, we paint them, and we talk about them, and we always have a little bit of fun. Traveling with Eric Dowdle, Mondays at 9 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. KBYU-FM, HD2 Provo. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Ohio officials say they are going to seek murder charges against the man suspected of holding three women captive in his home for 10 years. Prosecutors say he forced several miscarriages on one of the victims. The new charge could carry the death penalty. Following a hearing yesterday in which several officials testified the government could have done more to protect the U.S. Embassy in Benghazi, Libya, before it was attacked last year, GOP leaders in the House now say White House officials should release emails which show how the attack was actually handled. Aside from the embassy attack, top White House officials and lawmakers are also meeting today to discuss new ways to combat sexual crimes in the military. Earlier this week, Pentagon, an official Pentagon report revealed sex crimes spiked 37 percent last year. Eight suspects have now been arrested around the globe in relation to a $45 million cyber heist. Authorities say the sophisticated group used stolen bank cards and ATMs to steal the money. The body of one of the suspected Boston Marathon bombers has now been buried after several Massachusetts graveyards refused to entomb the remains. Authorities have not released the location of the burial site. In world news, leaders in the U.K. now agree the Syrian regime likely used chemical weapons in the continuing civil war. At the same time, Turkish leaders are also stepping up testing of Syrian refugees to help confirm the worldwide suspicion. As the death toll from the Bangladesh garment factory collapse two weeks ago breached 900 today, tragedy struck another similar factory when a fire took nine more lives. And authorities in Australia are now desperately searching for a couple that fell off a cruise ship yesterday at least 65 miles offshore. No one even realized the two were missing until the ship docked in Sydney today. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Oh, 
And welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson, filling in for Matt, who's away on a family wedding. We have with us Brad Wilcox. Now, like I said, already he's given us several aha moments about the power of of communication and not being bored and using that to our advantage. And I love that you have this model to with uh, do something to with and by, and then also having people you know communicate back and engage back when they're talking about something they've done, a letter they've. Um, uh, a movie they've watched, something they've done at school. And I'm going to do those two things. Good. I look at you and I think you're perfect, though. I mean, are you perfect? <laughs> Don't you ever get bored? Do I ever get bored? I've My kids have often said, Dad, I'm bored. But personally, I don't know that I'm ever bored. And I think part of it is because I I do love to read. I do have a natural curiosity about a lot of things. Uh, when I was thinking of teaching school... I could never think which subject I wanted to settle on because I can get passionate about everything. I mean, I love it all. And that's why I think I ended up teaching elementary school because then I could teach everything. And I was shifting gears every 20 minutes, and I loved that. Um, Is it because you were exposed to a lot, do you think, or are you just naturally that way? No, I think my parents did a good job of exposing all four of their sons no girls in our family, but I think they did expose us to a lot of different things. Um, and because of that, uh, I think I I did find myself feeling excited about a lot of different things. Now, are there some things that I'm not too excited about? Yeah, there are. But But I find myself not being bored, or at least in moments when I do feel bored, mentally I just go somewhere else. If I'm in a meeting where it's like, oh, my gosh, this we've, we've got, gone over this before, <laughs> then I just kind of mentally check out. And is that okay? Well, see, that's what I guess that's the question. That goes back to what Bryce was talking about. I mean, there were times when he mentally checked out of school. But were those positive times or negative times? Hmm. Maybe those were times that were positive because – he was learning something even as he had checked out of what he was, quote, supposed so to So maybe learn. not calculus, but he was learning something else. Right. And so I don't know whether we can say, oh, just let kids go off task. Just let kids daydream all they want. But I do think it is something that is worth thinking about and pursuing because I do it. When I'm in a meeting that kind of gets a little boring – I will mentally go somewhere else. Sometimes it's just saying, well, if I were the presenter right now, how would I be presenting this so that everyone's not sleeping? Uh, If I were the presenter right now, how would I be adjusting this? Or, Or I'll say to myself, that's why I don't use PowerPoint. I <laughs> I have to laugh because somebody asked me once uh, why I don't use PowerPoint that often. And I said, well, because I've seen too many PowerPoints that don't have power or a point. But um, It's so true. They just they put up the slide and then they read it. And we're like, well, what's okay, – what? I know. And you're like, okay, this was really good. If you hand wrote it, it would be more interesting on chalk. <laughs> but I, uh, I, I find myself sometimes checking out in that way where I'm kind of thinking, how would I do this differently? But other times, I just check out. I'm, my mind goes somewhere else. When I'm driving and I'm on long drives, often I will just write something. 
in my mind. I, I don't write it down. Because that would be poor driving practice. It would be. <laughs> and I don't. I don't write it down. But I think it through because I'm always writing an article or writing a book or doing something. And so I'm always thinking, okay, now, how would I introduce that? How am I going to get into that? How do these ideas go together? And often I will get myself going in a car. Uh, I'll be thinking and literally kind of writing an article or a chapter mentally in my mind while I'm driving uh, to the to the point that I sometimes miss my exit. <laughs> well, how many of those actually make it to print? Quite a few. Amazing. Because because I think, you know, as you're kind of mentally so if there's nothing to engage me mentally like in the drive, uh often I'll turn on talk radio, but I talk back to the radio. I don't know how many of you are out there doing that right now to us. I do it too. But I talk back to the radio. Uh, when somebody says something that I agree with, I say, you know, hear, hear. Or when somebody says something I don't agree with, I, I like, oh, forget that. Or God, obvious you've never had kids. Or, <laughs> obvious you've never. I mean, I talk back to the radio. And I even get engaged with the music because as I play a CD, often I sing along. I do the most beautiful duets with some very famous singers. <laughs> they just don't know that I do. <laughs> what are you, do you ever have people in the car that complain or do they like it? No. When I got people in the car, usually we'll engage in conversation. But this is just when I'm alone and when typically I would be bored. But I, I'm not usually bored because of those things or because sometimes I just turn off the radio, turn off the, the CD, and I just think. And I, I just plan or I'll solve problems in my mind. So it sounds like it's okay then to if you if you really aren't interested or you're not engaged, you're still being engaged in your mind. I saw you as you were speaking about that, that you looked up almost into your head when you talked about, you know, what you do in your mind. And, and yeah, you're doing it now. Yeah. <laughs> so is that kind of like a place that your people could, you know, could go that where they could it's almost like meditation, it sounds like. Yeah, except that, I mean, obviously you have to stay with it enough that you're driving on a freeway right. and you, you want to be aware of what's going on. But I think that often we, we want to give kids permission to think through something. And paying attention, may that may be part of this process. But when a child is kind of thinking beyond what we are trying to get across. It may not be a bad thing as long as that child is not disrupting the opportunity for others to be also engaged. I think there's a difference between um, misbehavior or being disruptive and, and, and really thinking deeply about either what the teacher is talking about or what you are thinking in response to what's being talked about. So like lack of engagement is one thing. So yeah. the, the student has his eyes up in his head like you do, and he's processing through what you're saying or planning how to build a volleyball court in his backyard versus being disruptive. Yeah. Okay. And disobedient, right? Yeah. And I think there is a big difference there. I think there is a, there's a, a difference. It's kind of like a difference between noise and noise. I mean, if I go into a classroom and there's some noise, that doesn't bother me. But there's a difference between busy, productive, engaged noise and just disruptive 
um, hooliganism, noise. There's a difference. So that isn't necessarily boredom. That's, I mean, that's a different intent. Yeah. So being bored could lead you to think about ideas and things that are important, like, you know, the many articles you've written. And it did with Bryce. You know, it got him (laughs) thinking about other things. And, uh, and, you know, you think how many inventions have come because somebody was just stopped to think, well, how could I do that differently? Or what could I do to solve that problem? And that has ended up in the invention of many things that now today we think of as commonplace. Which really did come – they had to come from a quiet place in your head. They didn't come from what was happening outside. Maybe they were motivated, but then – you know, they came from thinking it through, like you said. Yeah. So boredom could be good. I think teachers and parents have to remember that the lesson the child learns may not always be exactly what you taught, but the child is still learning. And that's important because, you know, somebody out there listening to us today may not come away remembering exactly what we've said, but maybe we've triggered something. And somebody out there is thinking, huh, how could I do this differently in my home? Or how could I do this? Or how could I encourage my child's teacher to? And, and so that may not even be something we've talked about, but something we've said has triggered a thought for that person. And, and we have to be content. Instead of giving the person a test, maybe that's why talk radio is engaging, because there's no tests. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to give somebody a test and say, now, what three countries were mentioned when they talked about study abroad? Was it Germany? Was it England? Was it, you know, we're not giving somebody a test to see if they remember those facts. Instead, they're free to kind of engage or to even go beyond what we're, what we're talking about. And perhaps we do need to allow for a little more time like that in school settings. Brad, I think that's an excellent idea. And I want to remind everyone we're talking to Brad Wilcox, and you can find him online. Now, Brad, do you have any final thoughts um, that you would like us to remember? You've shared some amazing points about the two with by and then having kids communicate back about what they've learned so that there's a two-way communication and that you know that they've found a way to express that. That that engages them. Um, Engagement, a big thing with teachers and families. What else? I just think maybe... uh... I I look back in my own life and I think uh, you're never you're never bored when you've got a book. I I just I just uh, can get lost in books. And uh favorite book. Oh, favorite book called which genre? I think the first book that really turned me on to reading, the first book where I just got lost in the book, just completely taken away, was one called The Forgotten Door. By Alexander Key. Now you're 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 covering your heart. Did you read that yes, one? Yes. Yes. That was the first one. It was when I was in fifth or sixth grade. I forgot to eat dinner. Forgot yeah. to drink. Yeah. You and know. that was just one of the first times that I got so lost in a book that I wasn't decoding words. I wasn't worrying about fluency of of reading. I wasn't worrying about vocabulary. I was so lost in that book that it completely took me to another place. And that was one of the first experiences that I had where I realized that reading could take me 
to a completely different world. And I honestly think that perhaps the reason we do deal with so much boredom in today's children is because kind of they've lost that they've lost that ability to just uh, enjoy a good book. Yeah, we're short of time, but I just have to throw this in. I had a son who would not read. No problem with my other kids. Would not read. Big stack of books. I said, pick one. You've got to find one in here to read. Robin Hood, Treasure Island, you know, all those books. He finally picked The Hardy Boys and has not put it down since. <laughs> you never know, but you've got to give them, expose them to the opera. You can't just say, hey, pick Robin Hood yeah. and think that's okay. If you're not into Nottingham and, and Merry Thieves, then try something else. When we'd go to the library, we'd check out tons of books in the library and would get mad. She'd say, you'll never read all these before before they're due. And I'd say, they don't, the kids don't need to read them all. They just have to have water to swim in. You know, they have to have, uh, they have to have water in the pool. An empty pool never invites anyone. But when there's nice warm water there, boy, people want to swim. I think you've just given us a quote for a lifetime for boredom. <laughs> Forget about boredom. An empty pool will never invite people to swim. Fill the pool. Brad Wilcox. Thank you so much for being on the Matt Townsend Show today. You're Thank amazing. Thank you, Kim. It's been great to be with you. All right. We'll be back more with more of the Matt Townsend Show and more on boredom after this brief break. In a future disaster, it may sound perfectly normal to say, thank goodness the roaches have arrived. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Why would anybody ever be glad to see roaches when they're coming to rescue you, of course? Robot designers keep working away at miniaturizing robots that are energetic, tiny, and agile enough to get into tiny spaces, like under the rubble of an earthquake zone looking for survivors. But they have a way to go yet in miniaturizing a bot that can do everything an insect can do. To be fair, nature has had several million years head start on the robot guys which is what inspired the researchers at North Carolina State University to borrow from nature by seeing if they could electronically steer a Madagascar roach using remote signals. You create a cyborg roach by gluing on a tiny backpack with a battery and radio receiver. Using electrodes connected to the sensory organs, researchers found that they could stimulate the nerve that warns the roach of an impending shoe to get it moving. Then stimulating the hairs that sense if it's running into a wall, they could get it to turn right and left at will with precision. Just don't aim it at your sister's bedroom door. This is science. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Intellectual uh, exploration on what it means to party. <laughs> Join the party on Through the Garage Door, only on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Kim Power Stilson filling in while Matt's out of town with a family wedding. We are so bored that we're excited here on this show today. We've had Brad Wilcox on, and he just, you know, the best radio happens on the breaks. He gave us a challenge on the break, and we've got the entire team. We've got Rob and Bryce and Merritt and Madison and Aaron here. And Brad has challenged us to give our favorite book. Brad, introduce this. this is, it's fun. Yeah, we just started talking uh, during the break and saying, what, what was your first book? I mentioned that one for me was was The Forgotten Door by Alexander Key. 
But what was a book that you read as a child or as a young teenager that just really took you away and you were not bored? You just lost yourself in the book. You weren't counting minutes. You weren't, you weren't saying, oh, gosh, I have to do this for an assignment. You just got lost in it. Merritt, you're first. Okay, I'm going to go ahead. I, my mom read to me a lot when we were kids. Every single night, we would sit down on the couch, and we would brush her hair, and she would read to us. And I'm t- I, she read so many good books to us, the ones that I loved the most. Charlotte's Web was kind of big for me. I think most kids really get into that, which looking back, I wonder why. I, <laughs> I'm not particularly into animals, but something about the story and the friendship that Wilbur and Charlotte have is, is just so timeless and adorable. And also, the Chronicles of Narnia were mm. so good. I just loved them. The idea that those kids were doing awesome things was cool to me. I really got lost in that. But as for one, one that I read on my own, it was a lot harder. I'm trying to even remember if I can remember that the first book I really got into, probably Harry Potter, I, I think maybe it would be the first ones I really dove into by myself. Um, but again, I, I think the idea of the, those kids were doing really cool things were, were the ones that were the books that stood out to me. For me, it was in fourth grade and I picked up this book is called The Lost Tales or hold on, hold on. I have it here on my phone. Hold on. Lost Tales of Merlin? Lost Lost Years of Merlin. It's by T by T. A. Barron. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful author. Yeah. It was I, I didn't really know what I was getting into because it would ended up being like a five book series. Um <laughs> yeah. but it was we we've all we've heard of Merlin. We know that story, and it was sort of his take on what his childhood would have been. And it was just kind of cool to a very familiar character to turn him into a kid. And it wasn't, uh, I'd read books with kids and with stuff, and I thought a lot of it was really cheesy. And I didn't feel like this was cheesy. It it did real things. It It was very, I just liked it. So when you were reading that book, were you throwing pencils at the ceiling? Most definitely not. <laughs> that was that was definitely a like I would stop and realize, oh, it's ten thirty at night. Like, oh, I yeah, exactly, exactly. The sudden like, oh, I remembered to be hungry. T. A. Barron is uh, actually grew up in Colorado Springs and was a good friend of my sister in law and her family, and so we've loved those books as well. Yeah, that's really cool. Um... This is Madison. Yeah, yes, this is Madison. This is actually my last show, so this is the last thing that I'll be saying that will go on air. (laughs) But um, I guess kind of for my book, our family was really into reading. Um, We were the type where we actually had to ban books at the dinner table. We were, like, it was just that bad. We'd always be reading. So I... I can never remember like a definitive moment because I just always loved it. But definitive books, I think, when I was really young, um, I was actually in second grade, I think, when I read The Horse and His Boy. And it's the third book in the Chronicles of Narnia series. And I loved that. It's just, it is great. Like, I was taken away into another world. I've always loved different cultures and different places. And it's kind of set in like the Middle East type of thing somewhere and so that book and then Alibaba and the 40 Thieves were those were like my books that really just turned like I was just so hooked on those but what about you Rob? Well you know books have always been a a means to an end I've never been a big reader to want to sit down and read now somebody wants to tell me a story 
I can have a great time. I remember a sixth grade teacher reading uh, Hiding Place, uh, Cornelia Tenbaum. Me actually sitting down to, to read a book on my own, I think I was in the middle of junior high. I was TAing an English class, and the teacher was reading with the class. Uh, I of course you were. It was uh, well, fourth grade TAing, I'm sure. Well, it was, it was, it, it, TAing is a great scan. You get to goof around and just draw pictures and stuff and help the teacher out once in a while. It was you know, free period. They were reading together as a class, The Giver. Is that uh, Lois Lowry? Lowry, yes. Yeah. And it was weird. It was the first uh, dystopian-type book I'd ever heard. And it was strange enough, I actually borrowed a copy from the class. I took it home over the weekend, and I was just amazed. And one weekend, I munched the entire book. You know, And then I went on with my life, and there's been very few books that come and go that once in a while will catch my interest. 1984 was one I did that. Did not a dystopian book, I guess. But uh, – but then years, you know, it's been several years and there hasn't been a book that's, that's caught my eye. And it's just kind of weird how it's like a lightning strike, you know. You've just gotten too busy. Yeah. Because there's so many books that, that right now you just, oh, I just, there's so many. You've got to find one called uh, Three Times Lucky. It's a Newbery Award winner. That, that's one you'd love. Or but The Book Thief. That's one you would absolutely love as well. Okay, Aaron, what about you? You know, I was thinking about it. Um, I'm kind of a sci-fi fantasy nerd, and I read – they're actually making a movie about it, um, Ender's Game. I don't know if you ever read that before. Yeah, by Orson Scott Orson Scott Card. Card. That struck me like – I think I was in sixth grade, and we had a requirement. It was called, like, Reading Counts. We had to get these points, which actually ended up destroying my desire to read, but – Yeah, and you know, that <laughs> is an important thing to mention because often those reading incentive programs we think are encouraging reading can actually discourage it. And so I think that's a good point to make. It was funny because that book was required and I was like, well, it looks interesting. So I read it and I loved it. And I read Shadow the Hegemon, Ender Shadow, like the sequels. But um, as I went through high school, we had to keep doing this. And it got to the point where people were reading the biggest books possible for the most points instead of like what they wanted to read. And it was sad because my desire to read for reading for fun was kind of out the window. I read to get points to get it over with. And ever since then, I've had trouble having fun with it. And I wish I could get it back. I'm, I'm trying to. Yeah. You know, I, so. I think if kids are reading for points or reading for pizza, then we're fostering that external motivation instead of internal motivation. If we can give kids time to read and then give them choice of material so they can match their own interests. And if we can give them a good model and lots, lots of books to choose from, fill that pool, then I think we're dealing more with the internal motivations that will last longer than those external motivations. Because you never know, like I loved Black Beauty and James and the Giant Peach, completely different books, but... I remember the junior highs and high schools in my district growing up had 20 minutes of dedicated reading time. And I remember I'd run out of a book to read and I'd just grab something in the house. I one time grabbed an old uh, On the Road with Charles Kuralt. <laughs> I'm in seventh or eighth grade. But you know what? I had to read it and I actually found it was actually it was, it was OK, you know, just just because I had to fill the time with something to read. So, and very interesting, why not go to the library and walk around and pick something and keep picking until you find something, like you said, the book, yeah, the pool. 
I think it's sad when a librarian friend of mine said that the kids come in now and say, I need a book that's worth this many points. Well, what are you interested in? No, I need a book that's worth this many points. Or I need a book that's level M. Well, I mean, a murder mystery, a horse story? No, just a level M. See, something's wrong. Well, and the funny part, um, Spark Notes, ironically, like, had all the answers to the test questions for the points we could get. And so I would pick, like, Harry Potter, some big book. And instead of reading the 1,000 pages, you know, Harry Potter 5 is really big, I would go on Spark Notes and just Spark Note it and know enough for the test. And that was just... That well, was bad. And, you know, so. they've actually done studies where the authors of the books are doing the tests that are on those programs, and the authors fail their tests because the tests are usually looking at very low-level questions. Well, you can completely tell we're not bored here now. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> it's been great to talk about boredom today. I didn't think, you know, Brad Wilcox, thank you for being here. I didn't think we'd actually get this passion out of boredom, but it does work. Uh, Bryce is right. Bryce is right. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Matt Townsend Show. And we're here every day with Matt. And you'll be back next week. Thanks to Brad Wilcox. And thanks to BYU Radio Series XM 143. Listen to BYU Radio to color your world. Matt Townsend is the guide on the side, helping you better connect with people and the world around you. You could say he's a relationship guru. Matt discusses things like getting over grudges, bettering self, overcoming problems, and discussing what it is to be. Listen to the Matt Townsend Show weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, another great BYU radio program to color your world. On Sirius XM Channel 143, BYU Radio, talk about good. Welcome to 1962 in a town called Granite Flats, where everyone is friendly and everything is normal. Almost. There are things that need to stay secret. You ever seen anything like this? Oh, sir, it's pretty space age. She thought it was aliens. Yes, she did. Holy cow. G-Men. Don't go getting paranoid on me, Johnny Sanders. Watch an all-new episode of Granite Flats this Sunday at 6 Eastern, 4 Mountain, on BYU TV.